Anyhow, good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Don Orange. I currently work with uh, International Neighbors Greeley, serving refugees in our community here. Um, and I'm a city bus driver. And uh, unlike last week, I'd like to be forthcoming right away. And I'd like to invite you all to look at my knees. <laughs> Nothing to hide here. Donnie. So uh, just as a way of saying thank you. I, by the way, I really did appreciate um, his illustration and what that meant because the law has power, but it does not have the power to make you do what's right. And sometimes I think we forget that in our struggle. Anyhow, I really appreciated the series of messages that the preaching team has led us in, and uh, that's been great. Uh, Marvin is uh, interwoven music and liturgy that have highlighted these fruit of the Spirit, and that's been great. So thank you. Thank you, all of you. I've, um, I have, however, a couple of questions that I've been wrestling with, and they, they've been kind of banging around in my head for a long time. They might not make sense right now to you, but I think by the end you'll get it and what I'm wrestling with. So my question is, uh, or two, where exactly do I find these fruit of the Spirit? And, you know, you might have a quick answer to that, but hang on. And then uh, related to that is, what is the soil that these fruit of the Spirit grow in? I mean, do they just grow anywhere or what? Anyhow, well, then I want to talk about that a little bit. So um, also, I'd just like to tell you, I'm going to tell you two stories, give you an explanation, and then pray. And that's not the end, by the way. That was the introduction, okay? So don't get up and walk out. We're not done yet. Um, here's, uh, here's kind of part of the issue. And um, so um, I'm 65, and quite honest, I'm just going to be honest here. I've been a pastor for 20 years, approximately, in this community in Greeley. And quite frankly, uh, I thought I'd be further along by now. I mean, I don't need to be the Gandalf of Greeley or anything, but, uh, you know, I feel like I'm kind of the Grinch of Greeley. And that's troubling. I'm 65. I've been a pastor most of my life. It's just troubling. Uh, several months ago, this would be probably about May, uh, he got on my bus. Well, I would just tell you this. It, he slowly got on. He shuffled up to the door and took the handles. And you could just see every muscle. And then the pull and then once on, stabilizing, and then up to this little box that takes your money, by the way, is called the Gen Fair. And he opened his hand, and he took one quarter, 75 cents, by the way, if you're 65 or older, okay? He was. One quarter, and then, here it is. See if I can make it work anymore. Pennies. One. Two. Three. Coin not accepted. 
I don't know if anyone's ever died on the bus, but I thought I might. <laughs> I, and I'm just going to tell you, um, I am ashamed. I am not going to tell you what I was really thinking. I am not going to tell you what I really wanted to say. I will tell you, though, that I could vividly imagine my supervisor reading a monthly report of my Don Orange's on-time record and saying a few choice things about that and wondering, why do we let this guy drive the bus if he can't ever be on time anywhere? And so let me just wrap that story with this. I, I was not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in that moment. That was not the fruit. How can I be 65 and stuff like that is still catching me? Something's wrong. You may recognize this up here. He gets us. Maybe you don't yet. Um, it's a $100 million. Get that $100 million advertising campaign um, that has started. It's actually started last spring, and it will go all the way through the Super Bowl in February. And uh, it's an advertising campaign um, which was put together by a group of Christians who are concerned that the gospel has gotten a bad rap in our culture. And so the thinking is, what we'll do is, is we'll tell them who Jesus really is by these advertising blitzes on TV, and then people will come to Jesus. Okay, I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer here. I thought we, the church, were the ambassadors in that people would look at us and they would say, oh, I see Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, and we can argue later, I don't think people have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with us. <laughs> they don't look at Jesus and go, boy, I really don't like that guy. They look at us and go, who wants to be like them? They're judgmental. They're hypocrites. And when I hear that, I go, oh, my God, I'm, a, I'm first in line. They saw me. I am because I am those things. You know, what's wrong? What's going on? And uh, slowly, ever so slowly, by the grace of God, I want to say to you, I really think by rereading our scriptures, by rethinking Jesus, 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 by rethinking the Apostle Paul and asking ourselves some really hard questions, by talking with others, by, quite honestly, repenting of the way individually, corporately, and the big church in America, we have acted that we can move forward. Sky Jatani says this in response, and there's, there's a big discussion behind this, so don't let this put you off. You know, he gets a, Jesus doesn't have an image problem. We have a discipleship problem. We've been discipled in the wrong thing. Jesus doesn't have an image problem. I want to give credit, uh, by the way, and uh, I'm going to come clean here. I listened to this book completely. I did not read it, all right? Because some of you skeptics will go, oh, he didn't read it. You're right, I didn't. 
Um, I have listened to it in its entirety, and I'm right here rereading it a second time, okay? Anyhow, a very helpful author for me, Paul Miller, The J-Curve. What a blah title. Until you read the subtitle, Dying and Rising with Jesus in Everyday Life. Okay? Hats off. Credit to that because I've read his book. I'm really trying to process his thinking with several other people. Okay, that's uh, almost the intro. Now I want to say about three paragraphs of something I think is uh, challenging to think through. Please listen carefully. For decades, decades now, the church in the West has abstracted our Christian faith from the story of Jesus. We've created discipleship programs uh, which, in which we disciple people in a group of select doctrines, biblical principles, and positions on political and social issues while separating all of that from the story of Jesus, from the way that Jesus actually lived, the way that Paul lived. Since World War II, this process has been creeping along slowly. I've been a part of it. We've created a new relevant form of discipleship that's more in step with individualism and more in step with the elevation of self than it is with teaching what does it mean to live like Jesus lived. Discipleship has moved off from the streets, which is where it was with, with Jesus and Paul, and it's moved into the classroom. And it's focused on abstract biblical truths and psychological principles to make me a better parent, to make me a better husband, to make me a better money manager, to do all kinds of good things, but not Teach me how to live like Jesus lived. That's what we need to really be after. Let's see. We've created, and I'm borrowing this language from someone too, um, we've created a discipleship program that kind of looks like this graph. The older you get, the better you ought to get. You guys ought to be the cream of the crop. You ought to be right up there near the tip of the spear. Baby, say, hey, we're doing it. We're rocking it. I'm feeling like I fell off the tip and I hit the ground again. I'm wondering what happened. But we've created a discipleship culture that we can feel good about. We can compare ourselves. Well, I'm better than Otto. Uh, thank God, you know, I know I'm doing better than him. So, you know, I can feel good about that or something. Um, uh, a discipleship program, it's a, we can do it. We can, if we just do this, we'll have it. If we do these, if we, if I got the doctrine of the Trinity down cold so I could explain it, then we'd have it. Boom, I'd be in. Or I decide, well, I'm, uh, I'm going to take it easy now. I'm in a hard place. I'll come back to this discipleship thing in a little bit. I, by the way, I don't remember Jesus ever saying anything like that. And, um, Another, and this is where I'm, I'm in this trap, I'm in this trap, guys. We measure ourselves. Somehow we can measure our discipleship. We can measure our, our goodness. And we end up with this holy optimization thing. If we just keep going, if we just keep working, we'll get better and better and better and better. 
And I want to tell you, if this is the discipleship plan that you're on, um, you know, it makes for nice people, but it will fail you miserably in the real world. If you think that it's about you getting better, one year you read half the Bible, the next year you read all the Bible, one year you gave 3%, the next year you gave 5%, then you gave 10%. If you think that's what discipleship is, if I think that's what it means like that, I mean, that makes for nice people. It just doesn't make for disciples. And that's what I think we want to get at. So under pressure i.e. me, I have thoughts like, oh, I should be farther along. Well, that ought to, you, ought to, you ought to raise a, a red flag and go, whoa, Don, that means you're operating here. You think you should be farther? You're operating in this. Because if you do, uh, yeah, you should be. But discipleship is not holy self-optimization, at least not the discipleship Jesus is talking about. This discipleship ends up exalting the self, doing the very thing that you don't want it to do. It ends up you decide how to get discipled. You decide what's best for you. You decide these things. And that exalts the self, not Jesus. Well, here's what I want to say to you and then pray. Thanks be to God. You know, he's not left us alone. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us a community of believers He's given us people who love his body and are wrestling with this very thing. And so I want to uh, suggest to you this morning, I want to share with you what God is building in my heart as he helps me reimagine what does it look like to be a disciple. And so to that end, I want to pray and invite you to join me in that. Gracious God, would you open our hearts? Would you open our ears to hear your spirit? And would you empower me, the one who preaches, for you know uh, my sins are many. Amen. One of the things I uh, so appreciate is, like you, when you go back to your Bible and you read it, uh, and you, you may have read it many times, all of a sudden sometimes there's a click. I'd like to read this text. Please follow along with me. This text and a text from Philippians, our text for today. He, Jesus, then began to teach them... Uh, his disciples, that they, excuse me, teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Two quick things to say about this. Jesus deconstructs a false view of discipleship. Peter has a false view of what it means to follow Jesus. Peter thinks and knows that you have got to get the narrative right. You cannot lose control of what's, what's the narrative, what's being said about you. 
You have to control the narrative. You have to maximize efficiency. You need to appear before large crowds. You need to speak clearly. You need to speak powerfully. You've got to maintain your rights. And in fact, Jesus, Peter says, if we have to, if we have to, in the name of the kingdom, we will die for you. We'll introduce violence into the equation because Peter says, we all know might makes right. Jesus deconstructs that with these words, get behind me, Satan. Jesus reconstructs what discipleship looks like. It does not look like that, Peter. It looks like this. You and every disciple who follows will deny yourself, you will take up a cross, and you will follow me. What do you think follow me means, by the way? Jesus is on his way to the cross. What about you? Well, thank God, Lord willing, none of us are on the way to a literal cross. However, we might be on the way to our own dying, not physical dying, you know, when your body's in the grave, not that one. I'm talking about a different kind of dying, yourself, that kind of dying. So Jesus says, this is what discipleship really looks like. In fact, this is the way Jesus taught his disciples. Just a quick, quick, follow me, quick. Jesus says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. They, fishermen, boat guys, water guys, this is our deal. We get it. We know how to, we know how to live on the water. We, we understand it. They get in the boat, Jesus, lay down, go ahead, fall asleep. A few hours later, it's kind of like, wake him up, we're going to die right? And they're the boat guys. We're going to die. You don't care. This is the kind of dying I'm talking about. The kind of dying that says famously, I got nothing. Everything I had turns out to be nothing. Jesus, help. What does Jesus do? Stands up. Peace be still. Where is your faith? They're, they're dumbfounded. I mean, they don't know what to do. Mark chapter 8, there's a crowd of 4,000 people. The disciples got to be liking this. Ho, ho, ho. We're with, we're with him. <laughs> right? We're with him. Jesus says to them, yeah, uh, they look pretty hungry. How about we feed these guys? <laughs> you, you can see them looking at each other, right? Going, what? There's nothing around here for miles. And Jesus says, no, let's feed them. We got nothing. Probably some disciple cobbed one of the kids' lunches or something like that. And anyhow, we got nothing. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, when they recognize that, Jesus feeds. 5,000. I said 4,000. Look at that. Inflation. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. Finally, some kind of inflation that we really want to have happen, right? All right, Mark 9. The disciples, three of them have just been on the top of Mount of Transfiguration. They come down to find the other disciples, rookies, um, anyhow. And they've been struggling to get a demon out of a kid who can't speak. And so finally they say to Jesus, these demons won't do what we tell them to do. We got nothing. What does Jesus do? Jesus casts the demon out. How did Jesus disciple his disciples? He took them into situations 
where it became very obvious they had nothing. They had nothing. And it was there. They died. They had nothing to offer. And it was there that Jesus releases power. Dying, rising, dying, rising, dying, rising. That's the pattern. Dying, rising. That's what it looks like. That's what discipleship is. Now, I know you can't read this. I'm going to read it for you. Um, this, see this J thing right here? I know you think it's a fish hook because you know I like fishing. Uh, it's not. It's a J, all right? And uh, I want to read it for you. It comes right out of that book I just told you about a moment ago. And Paul says that this is the reality. Have this mindset among you. When you think about life, think like Jesus. And here's what the text says. I can read it. Though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We're going down the J here. But emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're at the very bottom, dying. Therefore, guess we'll have to go to this screen now. Um, he, therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on he in heaven and on earth and that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dying, rising, dying, rising. Can we quit? You guys got it? <laughs> it ain't over. <laughs> we got a ways to go. All right, let's take a look. Jesus' life looks like this. Giving up, emptying, slave, humbling, obeying, dying, even a shameful death on the cross. Paul says in Philippians, and I beg you to reread this because somehow I have rolled past this all these years, that he wants to know Jesus, not only his righteousness, that comes by faith. This is Philippians chapter 3. But he wants to know Jesus by participating in his suffering. Because we're Reformed people, we all kind of back off from that and go, oh, it's not about work. It is not about works. Paul just says, if you really want to know Jesus, you trust him completely and you die to yourself. Dying, rising, dying, rising. That's what it's all about. A normal life. Who wants to be normal in here? Yeah, I don't see anybody either. Um, anyhow, the normal life for us as followers of Jesus should be this pattern where we give up our rights, where we give up our privilege, where we suffer shame, where we let our reputation go, where we die to ourselves. That's the normal Christian life. Our lives are imprinted with Jesus' life. When we suffer, all right? And here it is. The shoe's going to drop right here. This is where the fruit of the Spirit grow. Here. They grow when we die. The fruit of the Spirit grow in the soil of your death. Oh, no. <laughs> 
I was hoping I could just have the fruit and I could avoid the dying thing. We could just kind of cut across to the other. No. Jesus says, this is how you will be my, this is how you will know me. You will come to know me is when you do these things, when you live like this. Enough of this stuff. A couple weeks ago, she got on the bus. She was much younger, so she could just kind of step right on, walked right up to the gen fair, had her little 50-cent card, cha-ching, cha-ching, and opened her hand. 100 pennies. I, uh, sitting in the bus, looked at that, and my first thought was, and then, by the grace of God, by the grace, I, I never like to use myself as a good example. By the grace of God, I saw what was happening. I was getting a redo, right? <laughs> well, praise the Lord. So here we go. Boom. 51. 50. We got to go to $1.50, by the way. She's under 65. Oh, boy. So anyhow, so I decided, you know what? The, in a split second, by the grace of God, no passive aggressive turning away. Uh, no body language, you know, um, that would just kind of say things. None of that stuff. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to look at her. And so here we go. Boom, 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 boom. Coin not accepted. Boom, 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 boom. And uh, so anyhow, at 94, um, I started the countdown. 94, because the machine tells you exactly where you are. 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. I said, you were awesome. You had that to the penny. She looks at me, she smiles, she goes, I know. And she walks onto the back of the bus. <laughs> but let me tell you, as soon, as soon as I let go, as soon as I let go of, I have to be this great bus driver who's always on time. As soon as I let go of, you know, there are other people waiting. As soon as I could just say, you know what, Lord? Um, here I am. I just die to this. Um, as soon as I, you know what happened? I died. The Holy Spirit's power empowered. The fruit of the Spirit explode onto the scene. And for one moment, she and I experience this incredible peace and joy on the bus. It's crazy. In dying, you're going to find your life. That's where you're going to find it. That's where the fruit live. Thursday. Um, sometimes my bus driving job and my refugee job overlap. And at the moment, we're getting a bunch of new refugees into Greeley. And Lutheran Family Service, I volunteered to uh, be their guy who will help their new families learn how to ride the bus. All right? And so now my jobs are overlapping briefly. So that's kind of fun. Uh, Thursday, I go pick up this family. It's a husband and a wife. This is not her exact picture, but this is what she looked like. Okay? We walk across to, uh, the street and get to the bus stop. As we arrive, another person walks up to the bus stop. This is a bus stop where uh, bus one and five both come. So you always have to, you know, I'm, I'm helping you. This is all free, guys. You guys are learning how to ride the bus. All right? Don't miss it. There's a lot here for everybody. So he walks up, and he walks right up to her, and he says, hey, Baby, what bus are you riding? Well, she doesn't know what he's saying. Um, and 
So I stepped up to him and I said, hey, friend, we're riding bus five. That unleashed a torrent of profanity and of condescension and of um, uh, all kinds of talk about how he was far superior to me and how he understood cultures. He didn't need a lecture from someone like me on culture. All right? A window into the heart of Don Orange. Every button on my pride panel went down at once, <laughs> which means launch, right? <laughs> this is the moment when you're digging furiously for the punch him in the nose Jesus, which is the one <laughs> that you would like to have at the moment, right? Come on. I just smile, nod. Yeah, say, yeah, that's the one I would be looking for too. All right, then again, by the grace of God, this is so not Don Orange, by the grace of God, I stood there and looked and I realized what this was. What is this? This isn't a, now I'm going to stop though, pause. So what does it mean to give up your rights, to humble yourself, to serve? I don't even want to talk about the being willing to die part. Um, let's not talk of that right now. In, in the face of evil. What does that mean then? Do you just throw all that stuff out and just punch him in the nose and get it over with? I don't think so. By the grace of God, I just kind of stepped in between them and shut up. And I thought, I'm going to bear the insult and pray that bus one gets here. <laughs> Jesus, please. So I did. I just stood between them. He went on for a little bit more, and by the grace of God, bus one came. He got on, and there we were. For a brief moment, in dying to myself, by the grace of God, I want, to, I want you to be clear. This is not Don Orange, superhero, paid pastor, really nice guy. No, no, no. This is the Holy Spirit. Um, I experienced what Donnie was talking about last week, self-control. I experienced a kind of peace. I experienced Jesus in a way that I haven't experienced him in a long time to be with me in that situation where I take the hit. Not physically, just verbally. My, my ego took the hit. All right? Uh, Jerry and Ethlyn um, had a pretty traditional marriage. Uh, Jerry, he's off on the left over there. He, uh, he started his own business when he was in his uh, early 30s. It was a business that required he'd be gone from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. typically. Worked, it was a manual labor uh, job for the most part, and he did that. Um, his wife, Ethlyn, sitting there in the chair, um, they were married, and uh, obviously they had this family. There were five kids in this family. So Jerry, six to six, you know, he comes home at night. He's not worth much. He uh, never uh, swept the floor, never vacuumed. That was Ethlyn's job, right? Take care of the house, raise the kids, la, 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 all that kind of stuff. And uh, they did that for many, many years. Uh, when Ethlyn was in her early 50s, uh, Parkinson's came knocking. Um, her trajectory was like this, because it went for 30 years 
All right. While Jerry and Ethlyn had talked over the years about, you know, all these uh, retirement plans and these vacations, we're going to go travel Europe and all that kind of stuff, um, all that stuff kind of gets put on hold. And as the grandchildren came, uh, Ethlyn's biggest disappointment, biggest disappointment was she couldn't hold them. She wasn't able to. Wasn't able to take care of her grandkids like she had hoped. Um, Jerry's retirement never really came because when he quit working, he quit because Ethlyn needed his care, her care. She needed him to be home to care for her. And he ended up uh, being her caregiver, um, helping her walk initially, um, getting her in and out of chairs initially, cutting her food, changing her diapers eventually, pushing her in the chair eventually, and wrestling this whole time with what this life was going to look like. The last time um, my dad was at our house, he told Mary and I, he said, you know, these have been really hard years. But I've changed. I never thought I would serve your mother. She served me all those years. But it's turned upside down, and I get to serve your mother. I'm a different person because of that. And these have been the best years of my life. Oh, Mary and I had to turn around and walk away. These are the best years of your life? Yeah, they are. My, my dad, well, he was a good man. He wasn't a bad guy or anything like that. But my dad had changed significantly over 30 years of dying to self because of this wretched disease that no one invited into their lives. But it came anyhow. They learned how to let go of that stuff and to die. Did they want to? No, but they had to. And it would have been very easy to get bitter, very easy to get angry. And I'm sure they had times of that or whatever. But near the end, they could see it, and they were coming up on this side. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to say, and I had, I, if I had followed my notes, I would have said this every time. But let me just say this and then conclude. Where did the fruit of the Spirit grow? We've been talking about where do they grow? Let me remind you, they grow in the soil of our dying to ourselves. They grow when we trust the Holy Spirit, when we reenact the life of Jesus and we give up our rights, we give up our our pride, we give up our reputation, we give these things up and we give them up and we say, Jesus, help me. That's where the fruit of the Spirit grow. Of all the people in the world, we need, we, we're invited to be the people who know how to suffer, not how to avoid it, how to enter it, how to do it, how to be it, how to live like it. And so I need to conclude, oh boy. 
I need to conclude just with these three ideas. There's, a, there's way more here, right? Friends, receive the gift of the J-curve. The J-curve, the invitation, the invitation to die and rise with Jesus. Not just in the end, at the very end, your body goes in the ground, you're going to, yeah, that one, but another one, the one that will happen this afternoon, maybe before you even get out of the building. All right? It's been granted to you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but to suffer, to suffer for him. Amen. Learn the pattern. Learn this pattern of dying and rising. Now, I'm going to do something that I hated when people would do this to me when I was a pastor, but I'm going to do it to Donnie right now. All right? We need discipleship classes that teach us how to die, how to understand what's going on. We're dying. We don't, and you don't, by the way, I'm thankful for this. We don't need discipleship classes that teach us how to grab our rights, stand up for what we believe. We got to get back what belongs to, we don't need, that's not discipleship. Well, it is. It's just not the one Jesus is talking about. All right? We need classes. We need small groups that are willing to help each other die so that we can rise. If there's no death, there's no resurrection. Who is K Katy Perry? Do I have this right? Who sings this song, Stronger? Whatever doesn't kill us makes us strong. Who, who sings that? Is it K Kelly Clarkson, Katy Perry? I can't remember who. All right? Whatever. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't listen to that kind of music. <clears throat> Somebody sings a song that basically goes like this. Whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Okay, I'm willing to give a grain of truth to that. All right? But let me tell you this, and this is uh, Chad Bird speaking. Whatever, whatever doesn't kill you keeps you from resurrection. So I don't need to be afraid of the things that are going to kill me, i.e. break me. I need to be afraid of the things that I'm able to manhandle over top of and get to the top of on my own. That's what I need to be afraid of. Whatever doesn't kill you keeps resurrection from happening. Lastly, friends, think about this. What are we saying when we come to the table? The bread is broken. My body broken for you. Poured out. My blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in likeness of me. Come, be part of this family. The family that's dying and rising. Jesus, thank you uh, for your words. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and how he speaks to our lives even today. Thank you for your patience with us, for your grace given to us. And thank you, Jesus, that you, you meet us where we are and you invite us forward. Help us, Jesus, to live, to die, and to rise with you in our everyday life. Amen.